Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. So funky. What's up, y'all? We are back. Now, my conversation with Shaka was deep as hell. And I felt like, you know what? We needed to continue and get even deeper. So here we are with part two of Side Effects of Redemption with Mrs. Shaka Sekwon. The other word that you had said was, you said it in passing, but you were saying something about deserving. And I remember Sharla hitting me one day and was like, you know what? I realized that I have come out the other side. Mm. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, I realized I finally come to a place where I genuinely know and believe that I deserve love and I deserve good things and I deserve this life. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, like we hold ourselves accountable, but we also kind of give ourselves a life sentence of conviction um, for the things that we've done or the things that we've witnessed sometimes not even things we've done. It's like things that we witnessed, right? Or or sometimes we we hold ourselves accountable for shit other people did. But I feel like in the redeeming of it all, it's, it's somehow coming to a place where you know that that's a part of your story, but it's not your whole story. And it's, and there's like action that you are living in and moving in that brings you to a space of realizing like, and even with all of that, I'm deserving of love. Right. And even with like, that's why like there's certain people on these internets when I watch them quote unquote, give advice, et cetera, they speak in such absolutes and like very much like you did this. So you did that. So you, and there's no empathy or compassion in their assessment. And at the end of the day, it makes people feel like, I don't have any agency to get to a space where I'm deserving of the love that oftentimes we can see other people get. And we're like, damn, like they got that, but I don't deserve that. Or I don't know how I would acquire that. And that word deserve just feels like such an integral part of what the side effects of redemption are because the redeeming of your soul I used to date somebody and I would tell him all the time, like, I want to talk to your soul. And eventually, you know, he just was like, no, like, I just don't know. I've decided that this is my path. I've decided that this is my existence in this particular life. And if I let you talk to my soul, then it's going to make me have to like dig into things that I just don't feel like I have the strength to do. So it's easier for me to just walk the line in this other way. And, um, And I think some of us 
you know, need to know that like you can't redeem somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. We got to do the, they got to do the work. Right. And, you know, going to the point of deserving there, there were years of survivor's guilt that I experienced. And, Mm. you know, I had to constantly challenge the narrative of like, why me? Why do I deserve all these things when I took a man's life? Um, And that's a heavy, heavy weight, you know, and I just say to, you know, any of the young people who are like navigating that world of street life, street culture, there's a lifelong sentence that comes with that. There's not a moment I'm not reminded of of David whose life I took. Um, And for years- Was David in the street life too? David was with somebody who brought him to my home in a street exchange that I refused to make. Um, You know, and so basically- there was a guy who brought him there trying to make a drug deal. I refused to make, um, and it escalated to an argument and threats were exchanged. And then I fired four shots that tragically ended his life. Um, and you know, it's, it's definitely one of the most regrettable, uh, moments in my life, you know, and it took me years to really like unpack the, that experience in a, from a space of empathy and that happened as a result of one of the other miracles that I talked about, uh, which is receiving a letter from, you know, the woman who said she raised David. And she, I remember reading this letter. And when I first opened it up, she really outlined who David was, this father, this husband, you know, this beloved son and his friend. And as you can imagine, for me, that was like, fuck, like I got to face what I've done in a different way. And I really wanted to just ball that letter up and throw it away. But I continued reading this. She said, despite these things, I forgive you uh, because that's what God would want me to do. And that started a correspondence between her and I. And I remember she would always go back to tell me what happened, Shaka. Like, tell me, you know, at 19, what led you down that path? Because no 19-year-old should be accused of murder, right? And there was this, there was this beauty in her wisdom to see me as a kid, um, but also in her willingness to understand the culture that shaped the decision like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a long time, I wouldn't tell her like the, the details of what really happened because I had so much guilt and I was I didn't want to let myself off the hook. I didn't want to say by me explaining these things to you that I'm not taking responsibility. Right. So it took years for me to finally say, here's exactly the context of everything that happened that night. I was DJing the party. Somebody got shot in front of the party. I just got shot 17 months before. We pack up, we leave. I'm already on edge. We get back to the block. A car pulls up, car full of guys. It's crazy tension already. When I get to my house, another car pulls up. It's a guy I know. He's trying to make a drug deal. I'm like, bro, I'm not trying to make this deal right now. And he had two people in the car who I didn't know. So I'm super escalated, paranoid. That escalates into an argument between him and I. David joins into the argument at the time. I don't understand he's inebriated under the influence. It's all these things, right? Yeah. That escalate. There's a moment I turn to walk in the house. I hear what I think is one of them trying to get out the car. I instinctively turn and fire the shots, and it tries to be into David's life. And so for her to give me the grace to tell the truth, which is an important part of, of, of really uh, reimagining what the narrative can be as opposed to, yo, I just did this bad thing. 
and there's no context, like that was life changing for me. You know, it was life affirming for me. And it took me years to accept it, though. It took me years to accept the grace of forgiveness mm. because I had beat myself up so much, you know, uh, because I wasn't supposed to be that guy. I wasn't supposed to be the guy that's, that kills somebody. Um, and so and, and I and I had a hard time even seeing myself as that guy, like hustling and all that. That was, you know, cool. And if the war was on, then you bring it to me. But this was a situation where a man didn't have to die. And so that that narrative was so mm. hard for me to navigate, you know. And so I woke up like Lily every day, angry and frustrated and confused and unable to process those emotions until her and I began to correspond in that way. And of course, you know, you add the reading and meditation and journaling um, and all those things just contributed to, you know, this awakening that's led me on this path of understanding that. Everything that I've manifested in my life, I've deserved because I put the work in. And it's interesting that we feel we deserve all the negative things when we're living that life. But when it's something positive, we struggle with saying, hey, I actually worked hard for this and I deserve this. And because it feels immodest because it feels like. Yeah. You know, like spoiled or or something. Like it feels, I don't know. I mean, Megan McCain has no problem um, <laughs> <laughs> taking credit for things like that. But I think particularly black folks, and I know I can speak for a lot of black women, like we just feel like if we celebrate that too much, that it's like we're taking our eye off the prize yeah. of what we need to be focused on because there's always work to do for everybody else. Yeah. And I mean, it's part of our culture, too. Our culture can be shameful in mm-hmm. the sense that, you know, it's like, oh, stay humble. And I used to hear that a lot. Yes. And, and I used to think that was like an honorable thing until I mm-hmm. really looked up the word humility <laughs> and humble. And I was like, some bullshit. <laughs> Real talk. Somebody and, said that to me the other day, like, you need to be humble. And I was like, get nah. busy, bitch. Get yeah, like, busy. No, let's be great. Right. And and always when people tell me that I say I don't I don't believe in being humble. I believe in being great. Because when I walk outside and I see the sunrise, I can't imagine somebody being like, son, you need to tone it down today. You need to be a little fucking humble. You know what I mean? <laughs> you go to the ocean, like ocean, don't be watering everything all over here. All like, these waves. You ain't wavy. You ain't wavy. <laughs> right, right. You know what I'm saying? But that's like a spiritual thing, right? It's like like we are a product of whatever your belief is. If you if you have a spiritual belief that connects you to whatever energetic field brought us into existence, there is nothing humble about the magical nature of this world that we call life. Nothing. You know, from, from the inception, like that's a miraculous journey. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so for me, it's like, yeah, you don't have to be cocky and arrogant and, 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 and you know, dumping on people all the time. But you don't also don't have to play small in this world right. where you only got a limited amount of time to make your contribution. And I'm like, if I'm making a contribution at this point in my life, I want it to be great. I don't want nothing less than anything I do. I want to be able to do it at the highest level of my potential, not measured by somebody else, but am I showing up fully uh, in my potential? You know, so I'm all, I'm all about being great, you know, never settle for mediocrity when greatness is available. Never settle for mediocrity when greatness is available.
Do you think, I mean, we live in a very con- cancel culture society these days. And I say that like some, someone hit me the other day and was like, well, it's not really cancel culture because the people who need to be canceled don't really get canceled. And I'm just like, it doesn't change the fact though, that there's definitely this energy that, you know, let's like, if someone makes an error, let's like end them. Um, do you think that everyone is redeemable? Absolutely. I think I think that, you know, obviously we have a role in creating the environment. Uh, we, and, and, it's, and it requires like, you know, it requires a deep, deep understanding of psychology, mental processes, trauma, adverse childhood experiences. Like there's an accumulative, you know, right. learning that has to happen. Right. Um, and, and I know because I've gone through it and mm-hmm. I feel like most of the things that people get counseled for are definitely not remotely close to the worst thing I've done. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and I think there are some areas where, you know, we can, people need to be challenged on, on things that are harmful, Yes. Um, you know, and they need to be held accountable for their actions. Yes. But I think there's now kind of like some social currency around being able to rush and cancel somebody if they have a misstep. My thing is if I have a public misstep, don't cancel me, inform me, educate me, enlighten me, uh, especially if you're a friend, because I see a lot of people, especially like in these industries where they're like, oh, we cool one day. Oh, you had a faux pas. You whack, son. Like, you know what I'm saying? You kick them to the curb. And to me, it's it's so just harmful to black people who have been trying to make it since we've been here. And the last thing we need to do is be canceling each other, except in those areas where it's just blatantly harmful and egregious. And there's no effort to even recognize how harmful behavior could be because, you know, to the, to the conversation that brought us together, right? We, you know, the, the Gail King and, and yeah. thing, like within a certain world, that behavior and that reaction is normalized. Mm-hmm. And if you don't come from that culture, then of course you can be like, oh, uh, yo, that's the extreme, right? And the culture is normal. You know, people hear that said to their moms, they hear it said to their dads, to their uncles, to their siblings, and then they're all breaking bread the next day as if it didn't happen, right? <laughs> well, it's like uh, with Kirk Franklin. Like, there were people that were like, I don't see the big deal. Like, I, you know, and then I saw other people like, well, you know, your, your your parents talk to you like a bitch on the street. And that's why this feels normal to you, but it's not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was one of the big things that, you know, a lot of times I don't even public, you know, publicly comment on a lot of these things because I know it's so easy for people to take things out of context. And I think everything needs context, right? And, you know, that was a moment where I get it. Dad can be frustrated, et cetera. But when you're, when you're a child who's gone through trauma and you've been talked to like that and you know that it's normalized within the culture and you can identify exactly what it is, like, you know, you recognize that there's responsibility on both ends. And that, you know, especially when you're like a person who's, evolved and spiritually enlightened, like there's a certain degree of responsibility that I know that I have personally, right? Um, you know, yeah. people say things to me all the time. Like, I mean, I've had people like, you know, slick talk because they like, oh, you're on a redemption path. He won't go east side of Detroit. I'm like, well, there's nothing in my contract that just say <laughs> you can't catch that work like if you cross certain lines, right? Um, but I know, may be it, redeeming myself, but I ain't no sucker. Like <laughs> ain't no sucker out these streets. Like nothing speak about that, right? But but even to that point, like I've struggled with like 
even expressing anger because of fear of how me being angry would be interpreted. And I've literally had that that happen before where somebody was like, oh, I thought you was about to. And I'm like, no, I'm actually just upset as another human would be because this is such an egregious violation of, you know, principles and values. Like yeah. I can be upset. I can be passionate. It doesn't mean I'm about to fly off the handle. Like it's a different set of circumstances. And so I just think, you know, culturally, we just need to have a little bit more grace, uh, take a little bit more time before we rush to judgment. And then hold, you can hold people accountable with love. Yeah. That's what I don't see a lot of. I don't see a lot of, yes. account- like I can't, I can't call you my sister and say like Amanda, yo, that was, that was wild. Let me just run the social media and be like, yo, man, the tripping, blah, blah, blah. Well, cause like, someone did sister, that the other know? day. Someone was yeah. like, you know, I'm your biggest fan in the, and they had a post on their Instagram where they had taken a, like a quote from my book and they had highlighted it. And on their post, they were like, you know, Amanda, I'm your biggest fan, but this was irresponsible. And da, 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 da. And they, you know, for what it's worth, I didn't feel like their issue was valid, but more importantly to me was if you're my biggest fan, why are you not addressing me privately? And even if I don't answer, right. Why are you making this like a public excoriation and like expecting that I now owe you a conversation and an explanation about something that I put in a book that I published. Right. So it wasn't just like some random thing that I said, and I'm like, oh, okay, I can rethink that. No, I like edited this like several times, like, you know, like, and I put this out. And I think, you know, I had a dude tell me one time, he was like, I just wish women would would talk to us like they like us. And I was like, what you mean? And he was like, when y'all be mad at us, like you talk to us with the anger of the thing you're mad at, but you don't talk to us like you like us. And I was like, yeah, but I also think there's something no- notable on the on your side of like, knowing when someone is mad at a situation or mad at like a certain behavior. And that doesn't mean that they don't appreciate you as a person and don't appreciate you, your character. So I know like I've had to learn in my language, how to be clear on that. Not just when I'm talking to people, but I'm talking to myself. They always say like, how you talk to people is how you talk to yourself. Absolutely. Right. And I know that I used to beat myself up about things to the point where I would go all the way to the depth of my character, like, oh, you did that because and you're a bad person. It's like, no, <laughs> you know, there are other measures and other circumstances at place here. And like the fact that you're even examining this is a reflection of, you know, your character and your desire to to want to be, you know, better and to be the goat of you. Absolutely. Like the great, the greatest, the goit, the greatest, <laughs> no, what would be the greatest you of all? Yeah. The gi- yeah. the guillot, yeah. the greatest you of all time. But I just feel like, you know, someone like you, I mean, your story is a very extreme, um, I mean, it's not to you, but I think for a lot of folks, like you've been in extreme circumstances, right. And, um, and I think that in, in ways in which a lot of people who argue for prison, right, and who argue for the necessity for police brutality, et cetera, their mindset is, you know, this people are a bad apple. If someone is, a, is doing a crime, then they're a criminal for life. They have no um, redeeming qualities. And they are, they you know, they're counted out. They should be discarded. And I think it's just really dope to see 
you know, the work that you have done on yourself and the work that you are encouraging people to do that really bumps up against that and debunks it? Yeah, you know, what's what's interesting about it, because, I, you know, I know the side effect part, right? Um, these are things that people don't think about, especially when it comes to me, right? Because I've been successful, at, you know, in a couple of different ways. It's like, yo, the felony is still there and the consequences of the felony are still there. Um, you know, I've just got so skilled at navigating them and understanding mm-hmm. that that's systemic and it's not just personal. But, you know, I can give you an example. You know, when I, when I bought my home here in L.A., you know, I call, right. to get, call to get insurance, right? And they're like, yeah, we can't insure you because of this felony. And I'm like, you do realize I just bought a whole home? Um, and, you know, and so there's all... Oprah these- fucks with me. What are you talking about? Yeah, seriously, <laughs> right? And so there, there are so many of these things that, that people don't like insurance, trying to change a life insurance policy. Mm. They ensure that my son has everything he needs and they've been in my demise. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Fuck, they got to do with my ability to pay life insurance. Um, you know, and so there, there's all these things that we deal with that people don't think about, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and there are consequences, right? And then there's a the consequence when you become successful. There's people who, you know, in my inbox and they just feel like I have to go get a loved one out of prison. Yes. And if I can't do it, then somehow I'm a fraud. Or I'm an asshole or like, you don't believe in redemption. My cousin Pookie been in prison for eight years and he read your book. Therefore, you got to write him back. And I'm like, I get thousands of these letters. Like I got, I actually have hundreds of friends in prison who I, <laughs> who I actually write. <laughs> take calls from and like, you know, but there, there is a sense of entitlement within our culture. You know, you don't do this and you don't do that. And it's like, you know, you can't, you can't move through life allowing other people's interpretation of you uh, to dictate how you wake up and feel. You know, I, I want to, I do what I care about. It's my, that's my homie right there. He, like, he confirmed me. Oh, <laughs> and you know, Jordy. Jordy he, like, was, he, he was dead sleep and just woke up out of his sleep barking. What's up, playboy? Oh, Jordy like, yo, soccer talking that talk. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally about to tell Rebecca, like, mark that. He's saying things right now. Um, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Jordy, what's up? Yeah, but it's just that, you know, that that point of, like, you know, really, really understanding, like, what narratives matter. When somebody's calling you in with love. When somebody's yep. you up. And, you know, just reminding yourself to affirm yourself every day. Uh, every night I do affirmations with my son. And, you know, I realize about a year into doing it, I was like, I'm actually doing this for myself as well. Of course. Like, it's the best thing. Like, it's like, yo, I'm great. I'm awesome. I'm amazing. And we do that literally every night, you know, to the to the point where he's got his own little thing now. He's, uh, I'm not even going to say little, it's a big thing, because he's a kid with his own business around his positive affirmations. Um, and it's just in- incredible to be able to, to, to be present enough to know that those affirmations aren't just for him. Uh, but, you know, because there, there's so many just consequences of, like, getting out and making it happen. You know, people underestimate you. Uh, they don't think that you're as smart as someone who hasn't been in that situation. I mean, I've, I've, I've led an organization where oftentimes, you know, people would question, like, whether I understood how to run an organization. I'm like, I ran a drug organization and a prison organization 
You got the strongest personality. I ran a drug organization in a prison. (laughs) So I'm like, me managing all those personalities of guys who've done some stuff compared to managing some kids who graduated from college, I think I can handle that. Piece of cake. But, you know, it's always going to be people doubting you no matter what you do and what what you've been through. And I just want to make this point clear um, because I don't know if I made it clear enough the last time. The whole thing about this comparative analysis of somebody else's life. I think it's a dangerous thing. Um, I think it leads people down the path of, you know, uh, lack of functioning at their highest level. Because, you know, if I can wave a wand in my life, my past wasn't what it was, I would do that in a heartbeat. You know, if I can wake up in a healthy home with love and nourishment and still go out and, and be in beast mode, I would love that, you know what I'm saying? And I think that people should love whatever their circumstance is. Like, you can be from the suburbs and still be a beast in business. You can be from, you know, the hood and still be a nerd. It doesn't matter where you come from. It's like, are you going to do the best that you can with who you are internally? Like, absent the circumstance, but who you are internally, because that's what makes the difference in who I am today from where I was back then, is the internal work of saying, yo, I have value. I have creativity. And as long as I make a series of smart decisions, I can produce very different outcomes. So I just want people to lean into that part and, you know, not beat up on themselves for not having a tragic story. You know what I'm saying? Or not having street credibility and like that. All that shit is trash anyway. Because even these cats who talk street credibility, they, they can't, they ain't even from the streets. You know what I'm saying? They like street, uh, you know, partially adjacent and, and, you know, I mean, listen, I, I have dated that person. Like I dated a dude who like came from a very good home and just was like, you know what? I just want to, I just feel like I need some edge. And it was like, <laughs> why? <laughs> like, and then I, when I met his father, I was like, now nah, you making up all this push it up. Like his father had a flat top and, and a high, like slacks worn very high around his belly. I was like, how is, Okay. It was just like a choice, he, but but he felt like that course was what he needed to like define him as a man and as someone of like strength and of like you know valor of sorts, and it would and it ends up being like a real diversion to his whole life. Like I met this person at. 18 and now he's 36 and i mean his potential is is just been tapped mm. by his own doing um and 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 at a certain point i think we also always need to remember like we talked a lot about like the things that happen to us when we don't have control when we're kids but there is a certain point where unless you have like an actual clinical um, impairment that doesn't allow you to be able to make these shifts. Like there's a lot of us who as adults have to make a choice to, to cut the, the cord, like to change the, the cycle. I mean, I see a lot of these young rappers that right now, and I just, I'm like, I'm so concerned for just their 
for their souls. Because at the end of the day, it's like they are like mimicking in a hyper way things that came before them by those who at this point, in many cases, understand that they were wrong before. Absolutely. And that's what I mean about the OGs, right? Like, I feel like an OG's responsibility is to not judge, is to lean in, is to provide wisdom, provide insights, and to create space for these guys to have real conversation. Like, I love rap. I love hip-hop. I love the new guys. You know, as soon as I drop my son off, I turn on the most ratchet, trapped out music possible. And I'm like, yo, daddy got a break. I'm like, Fuck you. <laughs> but I talked to some of the young brothers. You know, there's there's a young rapper out of, uh, I think he's out of Oakland, uh, called Young Simba. I just love this brother's spirit. I talked to him one night on Clubhouse, and we just, you know, chat via Instagram. And, you know, he's looking for the wisdom. You know, he's looking for the guidance. And, and I think a lot of them are there craving that, right? But they get turned away because... For one, the field is so competitive. And the other part is that there are a lot of people who have built a career off a certain persona that they actually don't really live in real life. So they're afraid to even bring these guys proximate to them for, you know, fear of the truth being revealed. Yeah. They're actually not gangster. You know, actually, like, that time you spent in a prison camp, that wasn't prison time. It's different between prison and prison camp. You know, um, and, and not to say that that's a good thing, but it's a real thing. There's a very difference. You absolutely have been traumatized, but tell them what the real trauma was. The trauma wasn't you walking the big yard. The trauma was you being stripped of agency, mm-hmm. of your body, of being degraded from coming from like, like even I have a theory about Tupac, right? That I don't think many people have really thought about. When Tupac went to, to prison, he had just come off being shot high-level PTSD. Then you go into a traumatic environment where the most degrading thing happens to you, which is that initial strip search. Like, no human is ever the same after you deal with the indignity of somebody telling you to spread your ass cheeks and you're a grown-ass person. And And let's just point out that he had been shot by someone he thought... Well, he felt that he had been shot by someone he thought was his friend. So he was also betrayed. Yeah, so all the psychology... Right. Is that play? And now you're in this whole other world where you're just being stripped of all agency, and then you're back free. And there's no therapy in between that. There's no counseling. Counseling. Who can really, you know? And if you think about all of the all of the rappers who've been through that journey, like none of them are the same after that, you know? Because no human would be the same after that. And I think we don't we don't we haven't created permission for our heroes and heroines to actually be human beings, mm. to actually have moments where the stress of their careers break them down or traumatic events in their life, you know, cause them to have a human reaction and that, you know, we don't celebrate mental health. Like one of the things I love about Shar is that he's really talking about mental health. Like Big Sean is my guy, always talking about mental health. And we need to talk more. Like that's it's the dopest thing in the, in the world that you can give to yourself is the caring of your mind. Like, that's a beautiful thing. Like, when I woke into the power of my mind, I was like, I'm a beast at anything I do because the power is in me. And I just have to be willing to activate it. You know what I mean? But, you know, those traumas are real. And and I see, you know, all these young brothers who have been killed in this culture. Yeah. Over nothing. You know what I'm saying? It's no, it's not, it's, it's things that are like superficial at the surface. And, you know, and it makes me, me afraid for them, you know, and I feel sad for them more than anything. Yep. Because they're beautiful 
human beings with all this world of potential. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and especially, like I said, as a dad raising a black boy, I want black boys to feel like love is truly a superpower. And that it's really dope to be intellectually sound. Like, that's the most gangster thing you can be. Right. Like, I can walk into any room, boardroom, corner block, it don't matter. And I speak at a level that, you know, registers because I've accessed, like, something that's in all of us until it's disrupted. And so I, I just want to see a lot more of these young brothers, like, evolving and growing. And, you know, but at the same time, recognize that they're still kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, they, need, they have the grace. You know, they're just growing up on a public platform. But I do, I do think that they all should have, like, mentors, you know, coming from, like, coming, mentors who actually been through it. You know, I think every young rapper that's to be part of their contract gets you a mentor straight out of prison. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's, your, that's your mentor. That's your big homie. And, 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 and just allow them to really help them grow. And then on the business side, too, I just feel like, you know, being in this culture, I see a lot of people who have the looks of, like, having made it. But this industry isn't set up for us to keep our money. It's set up right. for us to wear all of our money around our neck not invest our money, right. not look into alternatives. Like, like silicone doesn't look sexy to people, right? Until you see somebody IPO and they become a multimillionaire overnight because they invested and got shares and stocks. And then you like, you understand the difference between entertainment money and investment money. Right. And like, we need to make that look sexier. Um, you know, I love all the buy black and, and all that shit is cool, but it's like, invest, invest, invest mm -hmm. in these things that we've made great. Like we've made all these platforms hot as they can be, which means we need to have equity in them, you know? And we have to be like, in order for that to happen, unfortunately our entertainers have to make it hot, but then they have to make it visible. Like our people have to see that, that it's hot to actually invest a portion of that advanced check into you know, something that's going to produce money long-term and, and give you financial longevity because the career is only going to last so long, but that financial longevity can last generations. I like, yeah, it's a legacy. Um, I'm working on that. I, I, we had Arlen Hamilton, who is a venture capitalist and an investor we had around the show. And I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm just now feeling comfortable to start trying to invest a little, you know, in a little some something, something, but it's definitely like, I think for a lot of us, the fear of investing is like, I just got this money. Um, I don't want to throw it away, but it's like, yes, but you're doing that every time you buy some shit that you're just going to wear. Like, <laughs> so, and you can do both and absolutely. you can do both. Right. I mean, so, I, I absolutely do both. And I, I just want to say, add this one point to it to make it easy for people. Most of us use cash app, Venmo, all these things. If you want to start learning about the investment part, just take small portion of your money and like literally invest in the things that you actually utilize, right? What is the things you utilize? I play around with Cash App all the time. I'll be like, oh, I got a couple of hundred. Let me see what this do. Let me see how smart I am. Can I beat the market, right? I'll be like, yo, I'm cold with this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like we use all these things. We make them hot. So it means if you're adding value, then it shouldn't be that hard for you to find where value is at and just, you know, drop a few dollars up in there. You know, that bottle you about to pop, pop one bottle, invest another. All right. I'm going to invest. I'm going to invest in, I'm going to invest a bottle. 
because uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna download Robin Hood and start trying to like pay some attention and learn. Speaking of paying attention and learning, every episode we have the script, whereas we prescribe our listeners some um, additional resources to support what we're talking about on this episode. And for this episode, Side Effects of Redemption, well, first of all, of course, they have to get your book. They have to read your book. Uh, so, Writing My Wrongs, Life, Death, and Redemption in an American Prison by Shaka Senghor. You also have a book coming in January. Yes, Letters to the Sons of Society that I am... Um... I'm beyond excited about this book. You know, it's me as a dad, really giving my sons the life lessons and the truth, right? I have a I have a 29-year-old son who was born six months after I went to prison, and there are some truths about my life that he needs to know. And then I got a nine-year-old son who I'm raising in our current climate, and I want to empower him, you know? And it really was born out of my mentoring work, mentoring young boys and, and young girls throughout the country, and realizing that a lot of times they don't have high-level access one, to their emotions, but to being able to produce different outcomes. And so the book has been received phenomenally. I mean, the early readers have been raving about it. Uh, I feel I'm super proud of it. And then that's the writer in me, like it's poetic and beautiful because that's how I see my children is poetic and beautiful. So super excited about that. Are there any other works, whether it's movies, books, music, that uh, you feel our listeners should check out that, you know, kind of, help on the road to redemption. Absolutely. I think everybody should watch the film 13th. I think what Ava done with that film was incredible. Um, you know, interestingly enough, I like the last OG. I think there are some elements of that that can really help. With, with Tiffany Haddish and, and uh, Tracy Morgan? Yeah. I think, I think humor, humor is a universal language. You can't survive prison without laughing. And some of the things are so absurd that it's like, damn, this is real thing. Same for Orange is the New Black. I love that. Read Michelle Alexander's new Jim Crow on a personal healing. You know, some of my favorite books as a man think of Think and Grow Rich or Black Choice. Um, you know, I love philosophy as, you know, so I mentioned as man think of uh, meditations. One of my favorite books is Art of Worldly Wisdom. It's a real short book, 300 maxims, straight jewels all throughout that. Uh, on a spiritual level, uh, The Miracle of Mindfulness is a really, really great book. Uh, there's a book called Thick Face, Black Heart, which I love. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I got a crazy I'm life. like, keep going. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, speaking of movies, there's a movie called Tijuana Jackson from Prison to Purpose yes. yeah, that was by Robin E. Malco. I'm obsessed with this movie. Yeah. And in terms of just, you know, the story of redemption and of and using humor, I think it's a great example. So that's another one to check out. Yeah, definitely, for sure. The last dose. Shock, we did it. We did it. We made it. We, we've been talking about this for double long. <laughs> well, I'm, so, I'm so honored to be here with you and just love to see how you just created space for so many people. And all our conversations, you know, we can go forever. Yeah, we could do a whole other podcast, but yeah. here we are. Uh, well, no, thank you so enjoy much. our conversations and just... You know, it's a real vibe. You know, two things you said to me, I've never forgot. Um, you know, the woman that you choose, you have to admire and you have to respect. Like, that completely changed my perspective of, like, dating. And so... Really? Really, like, seriously. Like, it's it's a it's so deep and powerful to me 
because when I really went back and looked at the women I've dated, I'm like, I respect her, but I didn't necessarily admire her. Mm. Um, you know, I was attracted to her, but I didn't necessarily like have a high level of respect for her where she was. And I'm like, that combination is such a powerful, beautiful way of, of, of being present in what you want in your life. And so set the bar super high with that. So thank you for that. Anytime, playboy, anytime, anytime. <laughs> uh, or as they would say in Detroit, anytime, my baby, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Y'all remember to go out there and support Shock and his books and also support yourself in, in uh, investing. And, you know, we will. Uh, so Shock and I, Shaka came through when I did this event called Soulful Safe Space right before, right before the pandemic, oh, where we brought folks together to just talk about I mean, the original topic was to talk about the Gail and Snoop thing, but it ended up being just a bigger conversation about, you know, how we as a community interact with each other and what's expected from each other. And so when we get the world open again, we're going to have to do that again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And truly always my honor to join you, sister. So appreciate you. Appreciate you. Big ups to the big homie, Shaka. Sanghor, always repping Detroit. He had on a Detroit hat for those who don't know. Um, you know, Shock is just such an incredible example of somebody who, you know, knows their story, but is able to like tell their story at the same time as like touching on your own personal story without even knowing you, right? Like, I feel like Shock was talking to all of us and we don't even like have the same experiences but it's still like we're still human i think that's one of the unique points that he always touches on just like the humanity of it all and the human experience and how like that needs to be centralized so shaka shaka again support his books and um you know just really remember that we really do have so much more within us than we are taught to believe and when we actually do use the courage and the curiosity that we spoke about to really get to the bottom of that explore it you find out that it was always there it just got hidden behind these other obstacles and these other traumas and these other boulders that stand in the place of you being who you want to actually be and when we when we allow ourselves the permission um, to explore within ourselves we we're doing so much of a power move we're doing so much of a of a favor we're doing we're showing ourselves so much kindness so thank you to shock for showing us the kindness of sharing his story and to everybody out there on their path to redemption you know you saw Eddie Kane in the five heartbeats you saw he got there you can get there too nights like this I wish that raindrops would Starbanes Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.